It is Kale and Company Live. It is a Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen. We have reached the midway point of the week here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM booming into Manchester and well beyond. And, of course, streaming around the world and around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. And uh, first of all, I want to remind you that the uh, state championship Little League team, Concord, will be taking on Massachusetts state champion Middleborough at uh, 1 o'clock today in uh, Bristol, Connecticut, in the New England Regional Tournament. If Concord wins today and then beats the main representative tomorrow, Concord will have its first ever representative to compete in the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, coming up uh, later this month. And today's game, by the way, uh, between the Concord Little League Championship team and Middleborough Mass will be seen on ESPN at 1 o'clock. Can you imagine what a thrill it is for these youngsters to appear on ESPN, which has done such a great job with the Little League tournaments throughout the years, Uh, in Bristol, Connecticut, which is uh, right in their backyard. But they do it around the country uh, as well. And uh, Ray Duckler of the Concord Monitor has a a great piece uh, in this morning's paper on the Craig family's involvement in the Little League uh, tournament, which is going on. And the uh, Craig involvement in Little League baseball uh, goes back generations, literally uh, generations. So you might want to catch that article by Ray Duckler. But uh, congratulations to the Concord team for what they've accomplished so far. And hopefully they will be able to uh, defeat Middleborough today and uh, move on and uh, perhaps capture the regional championship. But if not, they have done an amazing job with uh, whatever they accomplish uh, next And uh, we uh, wish them the best today at uh, 1 o'clock. That's the positive news uh, in the world of baseball. Unfortunately, the uh, Red Sox came home, faced the uh, World Series champion Atlanta Braves, and lost in 11 innings on Tuesday night, 9-7. Same two teams will meet tonight at Fenway Park. The New Hampshire Fisher Cats uh, continued their homestand last night and lost to the Erie Seawolves 9-6 in Manchester. Now, if you're up and about and you're a baseball fan, you have you know nothing on your plate for today and would like to see some good minor league baseball, there is a noontime game today at Delta Dental Stadium in Manchester, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats and the Erie Seawolves who are the uh, AA affiliate of the Detroit Tigers, the uh, Fisher Cats, of course, the AA affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. So that's today at noontime. So you can check that one out. Good seats still available at uh, Delta Dental Stadium at uh, noontime for the first pitch. The not-so-good news in the world of baseball, again, is Chris Sale. How much bad news can be surrounding this guy? Uh, Red Sox lefty Chris Sale broke his wrist 
in a bicycle accident over the weekend. And he is going to miss the rest of the season. After just two appearances this year for the Boston Red Sox and five and two-thirds innings of work. Sale had surgery on Monday. He is expected, and I use that term cautiously, very cautiously, he is expected to be ready for the start of spring training next year. We shall see. Now, the broken wrist was on his right hand, and uh, he's a lefty on his on his right side. I should say his right wrist. Uh, he is a left-hander, so I guess that's a little positive news that he didn't break his left wrist. Uh, baseball chief operator Heim Bloom of the Red Sox said, you couldn't make this up. I wonder about that. I wonder if this isn't made up. We know the, the temper tantrum that sailed through uh, last month when he was pitching a rehab start in Worcester for the Woo Sox, the Red Sox uh, AAA affiliate in Worcester, Massachusetts. We know he had uh, a terrible outing, walked six or seven batters over four innings, and then uh, went on to uh, pretty much uh, destroy the clubhouse in Worcester, rip a TV screen down from the screen from the uh, from the wall, and uh, uh, using a bat in in the clubhouse to uh, uh, who knows what he did, uh, but nonetheless pitched a fit after a poor rehab start at the AAA level in Worcester. I am wondering if he actually did fall off his bicycle or if this is a made-up story because Chris Sale got upset about something. He was rehabbing that day at uh, Boston College at their baseball facilities because Fenway was uh, tied up during uh, a couple of concerts they were having there last weekend. So he had to uh, do some uh, rehab work uh, in an effort to get uh, back into the Red Sox starting rotation. He was doing that work at Boston College. And apparently it was after that that the alleged, the alleged bicycle accident took place. I have my doubts. What is he doing riding around, first of all, after that uh, broken pinky finger that uh, he sustained on his left hand against the Yankees uh, back on July the 17th? He still had that. Uh, that's why, you know, he was rehabbing at, uh, at Boston College to try and get back from this uh, broken pinky. So he's got the broken pinky. It's, you know, in Boston last Saturday when the incident <clears throat> allegedly occurred, it was like 100 degrees. And he's out riding his bike to get some lunch. And he apparently, according to Chaim Bloom, the Red Sox uh, chief baseball operating officer, <laughs> who hasn't operated very well this year, he falls off his bike getting lunch. He hits something, hits something on the road, and you know went uh, <laughs> head over heels now, over his uh, his bike and uh, broke his right wrist. Do you buy that story? That Chris Sale, by the way, Chris Sale has been, pun intended here, Chris Sale has been no bargain 
for the Boston Red Sox since 2018. Remember in 2018, they, they brought him in, and he, he did pitch the final inning of their World Series win over the Dodgers in uh, 2018. So, you know, he will always be remembered for that, pitching the final inning. And the Red Sox won the series in five games. It wasn't as if he was getting out of a monster jam in the seventh inning of or the ninth inning of Game 7 of the World Series. He was uh, pitching uh, with a comfortable lead at that point for the Red Sox and and uh, pitched the final inning of the 2018 World Series. All right, since that time, since the final out of the 2018 World Series, here's the stats on Chris Sale. He's won 11 games since that time. Lost 13. Pitched 195 and two-thirds innings. Over 36 appearances. Just 195 innings. Less than 200 innings since 2018. 36 appearances. He has collected, for those 36 appearances, $90 million. $90 million. And the Red Sox owe him $55 million more over the next two years, 2023 and 2024. Now, just figuring the last three years where he's collected $990 million, $30 million a year in 2019, 2020, 2021, $90 million. He has cost the Red Sox $8.2 million per win because he's won 11 games in those last three years. And this year, only two appearances and five and two-thirds innings. So Chris Sale, no bargain for the Boston Red Sox. And I am questioning, I am highly questioning how that right wrist was broken over the weekend. I think he just smashed it. Was upset with his rehab at BC and smashed that right wrist into a wall at Boston College. It's also, by the way, a $20 million vesting option for 2025 uh, should he meet certain criteria in 2024, like finishing in the top 10 in the Cy Young Award voting and uh, not finishing 2024 on the injury list, which is highly, highly improbable for Chris Sale. All right, enough about Chris Sale. We will move on to other things. Have a great guest today. We'll tell you about him and uh, more coming up right after these messages on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Welcome back. Kale and Company Live. Great to have you with us here on WKXL and all of its platforms. 1450 AM, 103.9 on the FM dial, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming at nhtalkradio.com. Our guest around 8.35 this morning is going to be David Moranis, and uh, what an accomplished uh, writer uh, he is. He is an associate editor of the Washington Post, uh, first of all, and a uh, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner for journalism and a finalist three other times. And his uh, latest book is called Path Hit, uh, Path Lit, I should say, by Lightning. 
Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. And if you don't know much about uh, Jim Thorpe, that's it's understandable. Uh, Jim Thorpe was in the uh, early, uh, you know, around in the early 1900s, 1920s, and accomplished a lot in the uh, Olympics. He also played professional football and professional baseball uh, long before the likes of uh, Bo Jackson and uh, Michael Jordan, Shohei Otani. You, you can name the uh, multifaceted athletes all you can name all you want, but arguably, Jim Thorpe uh, might be the greatest all-around athlete of all time, and very little, really. There have been other biographies written about uh, Jim Thorpe, but this one is uh, really a page-turner, and I haven't made it through the whole book as yet. There's a lot of pages, folks, and there's a lot of great pictures, too, by the way, a lot of great pictures uh, in this book. But the the text is uh, well in excess of 600 pages, and... uh, Mr. Moranis is uh, very well known for being extremely thorough when he uh, researches uh, what he writes. And he has written books, uh, biographies of uh, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, Roberto Clemente, uh, Vince Lombardi. And it'll be a pleasure to have him on the show to talk about his latest biography, this one uh, dealing with uh, Jim Thorpe, the great Olympian who, and we will find out the reason for this, had his Olympic medals rescinded back uh, in 1912 from the Stockholm, Sweden Olympic Games. Of course, the uh, the big story that has been in all the newspapers and all the media uh, in New Hampshire over the last few weeks was the trial of Volodymyr Zukowski, and uh, the truck driver has uh, now been found not guilty of manslaughter or negligent homicide in connection with the deaths of seven motorcyclists in a 2019 crash in Randolph. It took the jury in uh, Lancaster, New Hampshire, about two hours, just two hours, which seems like a, a, a very short amount of time for the deliberations. It took them about two hours to reach a verdict on the 15 charges that Zukovsky faced. Zukovsky faced seven counts of manslaughter and seven counts of negligent homicide in addition to a charge of reckless contact, uh, conduct. Uh, he was found not guilty, found not guilty on all of those 15 charges. As the verdicts were read, uh, Zukovsky gasped, looked upwards several times, kissed his hand and pointed up before taking off his glasses and crying. Several family members and friends of the victims were in tears as they left the courtroom. Jurors uh, received the case shortly before noon on Tuesday, and the verdict was read at about 2.40 p.m. The judge uh, in the case previously uh, dismissed charges of manslaughter and negligent homicide that alleged that uh, Zukovsky was impaired at the time of the crash. The remaining charges related to uh, accusations that Zukovsky was acting recklessly at the time uh, of the crash. Now, Zukovsky did admit uh, during the trial that he used heroin and cocaine on the day 
of the crash, but that he was not impaired by that uh, during that uh, evening when the crash took place. He's been in jail uh, for the past three years as the case moved through the court system. He left the courthouse on Tuesday in a sheriff's department truck and was taken back uh, to the jail for the night. It's unclear uh, when Zukovsky might be released. Corrections officials said Zukovsky uh, was served an immigration detainer issued by the Department of Homeland Security and will be held on the detainer for uh, DHS, the Department of uh, Homeland Security. In a written statement on Tuesday, uh, Governor Sununu called the verdict a tragedy, And I quote here, the fallen seven did not receive justice today, and that is an absolute tragedy. I share in the shock, outrage, and anger that so many have expressed in the three years since the seven members of the Jarheads Motorcycle Club were taken from us. My heart goes out to their families, friends, and loved ones on this especially dark day. End quote. That from uh, Governor Sununu. Attorney General John Formella said in a written statement that he believes Prosecutors proved their case. And I quote uh, Attorney General Formella, Our hearts go out to the victims and their families. Our trial team did an excellent job. And we firmly believe that the state proved its case beyond a reasonable doubt. Mr. Zerkowski should have been found guilty of the charges in this case and held responsible for causing seven deaths and numerous injuries. We thank the court and the jurors for their service, and while we are extremely uh, disappointed, we respect the verdict and our system of justice, end quote. A group of uh, criminal defense lawyers uh, then went on to uh, criticize Governor Sununu and the Attorney General for their responses to yesterday's verdict. In a statement, the New Hampshire Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers said, and I quote, Now, these statements are irresponsible, dangerous, disrespectful to the jurors, and damaging to the integrity of the criminal legal system. They are also contrary to rules designed to protect the rights of the accused and protect jurors from undue influence and harassment, end quote. Spokesperson for Governor Sununu said that the governor stands by his statement. Massachusetts officials confirm that Zukovsky's commercial driver's license is disqualified and his passenger license is suspended. Before the closing arguments were delivered on Tuesday morning and out of the presence of the jury, the defense moved to dismiss the charges or have the judge order a verdict of not guilty, arguing that the state had not proven the case beyond a reasonable doubt, and that motion was denied. Uh, Defense attorney Jay Duguay uh, began his closing argument by placing the blame for the accident squarely on the lead motorcyclist for the Jarheads Motorcycle Club, Al Mazza. Mazza was also uh, killed in the crash. Duguay said Mazza was drunk and drifted over the center line and into the path of Zukovsky's truck. The defense attempted to discredit witness testimony, especially from the Jarheads, pointing out inconsistencies in their testimony, including how much people had been drinking on that day. So the verdict is in. It took about uh, two hours of deliberation to determine 
that the uh, 15 charges of uh, Volodymyr Zukowski would not stand up, and he has uh, been, uh, well, determined not guilty in the deaths of uh, seven motorcyclists back in 2019 in uh, Randolph, New Hampshire. So that was the uh, the big story on uh, Tuesday, and of course there'll be uh, more reaction to that over the days and weeks ahead. This is August the 10th, National S'mores Day. That you didn't know there was a national day for s'mores? Well, this is it, August 10th. It's also National Duran Duran Appreciation Day, National Spoil Your Dog Day, which you probably do anyway without having a national declaration for it. It's World Lion Day, that's L-I-O-N, Lion Day, Smithsonian Day, and National Lazy Day, which is just about any day for me, and I'm sure many of us as well. All right, you hear the music, folks? We've got to head to a break. But after that break, we'll be talking about Jim Thorpe, an American legend, an American treasure, with the author of a new book, Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe by David Moranis, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner for journalism. We'll be back and to speak with Mr. Moranis. Right after these words, it's Kale & Company Live on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Don't you dare go away. Welcome back. It is Kale & Company Live for this Wednesday at 14.50 a.m. WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond and streaming around the clock, around the world at nhtalkradio.com. And uh, we have a terrific guest uh, in store for you right now. He's an associate editor at the Washington Post and a distinguished visiting professor at Vanderbilt University. Uh, He has won two Pulitzer Prizes for journalism and was a finalist uh, three other times. Among his best-selling books are biographies of Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Roberto Clemente, and uh, Vince Lombardi. We welcome David Moranis to the show. Great to have you with us. Thanks. Good to be with you. Well, the, the new book uh, is, is just terrific. I must confess I haven't read all of it yet, but it is very, very compelling. And uh, the, that is soon to become a bestseller. The book is Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. Uh, what a life it was. What inspired the title? Path Lit by Lightning is a poetic translation of Jim Thorpe's uh, Native American name, Wathohawk, which is a second fox name. Uh, it's often uh, reduced to uh, Bright Path, but I, I thought Path Lit by Lightning was more evocative of his life and used that translation. Well, and... Uh, why Why Jim Thorpe? I mean, there have been other biographies written about Jim Thorpe. Why did you decide to, to tackle the, the life of, of, of this great athlete? You know, uh, I'm always looking for two things in the books I write. One is the, sort of the arc of a, of a dramatic story, and Jim Thorpe's uh, life as an athlete and beyond certainly had that. And also the opportunity to use uh, someone's life to write about 
something larger in American history and sociology. Um, and so I saw this as an opportunity to write about the Native American experience through Thorpe's life. I consider it sort of the third of a trilogy of my books on sports figures of Lombardi, Clemente, and now Thorpe. And each one, in different ways, uh, had a larger meaning than just their transcendence in sports. Of course, uh, the the athletes and, and and the coach in the case of uh, Vince Lombardi that that you talk about uh, are more contemporary. So, uh, how about the research for your book this time around? Your research is is legendary. Uh, how did the research for this book uh, differ or compare to uh, your previous works? You know, that's a great point. It differed in two ways, actually. The first was that. Um, no real contemporaries of Thorpe are alive. He was born in 1887. Even his seven children are no longer with us. So in that sense, um, interviews were were less available and important, and archival material was far more important, including oral oral histories and interviews with people that were contemporaneous and letters and so forth. The other difference was um, this was a COVID book. You know, my motto for all of my books is go there um, to understand the places of someone's life. And in this case, uh, halfway through the book, I was no longer able to do that because of COVID. So I never got to Stockholm, for instance, where he won his gold medals. Um, and had to use other means to sort of feel that I was there and the places that I couldn't get to. So it was a different book in both of those senses. Yeah, no question, and uh, uh, so that uh, obviously made the, the research a, a, a little bit more difficult. How how long did it take to put this uh, this work together? For some reason, all of my books take about four years. Wow. That's, that's my average, yeah. <laughs> and so this one did too. Um, usually the first year and a half or so, I'm just doing research, um, and then I'll start writing and continue researching until the end as I'm writing the book. So any correlation between the three previous sports biographies uh, uh, that you've written? Uh, 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 you know, it, uh, any comparison at all or any correlation? Well, um, I think that all, all of those figures showed enormous willpower to achieve what they did. They all had obstacles to overcome. Um, you know, Vince Lombardi was a, an assistant coach for 20 years before he got his shot in Green Bay and thought he would never get his opportunity, and was ready when he did. Um, That was his obstacle. He also felt discriminated against as an Um, Italian-American. Roberto Clemente had to, you know, overcome both uh, race and language uh, to succeed in the United States. And Jim Thorpe faced many obstacles as well as a Native American. So I think the, the perseverance and ability to overcome obstacles is something similar in all three cases. Yeah, no question. And uh, talking about uh, overcoming obstacles, uh, certainly Jim Thorpe uh, is in that category. Uh, tell us about the, the Carlisle Indian School, where he you know, began really his athletic career, where he prospered and, uh, and went on to the Olympics. Yep. Tell, tell us about that experience for him. Well, it's interesting. The, the school was the flagship boarding school for Native Americans, run by the federal government. Um, in some ways, it was meant to be well-intentioned, um, a, you know, um, a way of assimilating Native Americans into white culture so they could survive. But it was very dehumanizing. The motto of the school was, kill the Indian, save the man. 
meaning take away the Native American culture, religion, language, even dress them in cavalry uniforms in order to assimilate them into white society. So in those ways, it was a negative, but also provided um, Jim Thorpe an opportunity to show his athletic skills against the greatest colleges in America at that time. He was a, an All-American football player who, whose Carlisle Indian team defeated West Point mm. um, Army in an amazing game in 1912 and also defeated Harvard and Penn and many of the schools that you don't think of as football powers today, but in that era, in 1912, they were the best team. Um, so Carlisle was the best and the worst for Jim Thorpe in different ways. And at that school, he had uh, the opportunity to play for a legendary coach whose uh, legend lives on today in, in youth football in Pop Warner. Pop Warner was a brilliant, innovative coach, not a brilliant um, or even uh, admirable person in some ways. Um, I hate to burst a bubble for Pop Warner youth football, but um, he, uh, you know, it's a time of Jim's biggest, Thorpe's biggest crisis when his medals for the gold medals were taken away from him because he played minor league baseball. Pop Warner lied about it and said he didn't know that Thorpe was doing it, when in fact he did. He did it to save his own reputation. So Warner is, a, is you know, a complicated figure. He, he and Thorpe were um, sort of rose together. He was a great football coach, first at Carlisle and then at, at Pitt and later Stanford. But he also um, was not a great human being. And he was not there when Jim Thorpe, as you pointed out, needed him the most. That's exactly right. What Thorpe needed, you know, hundreds of college athletes were playing minor league baseball during that era, but the others were doing it under aliases. Mm. Even Dwight Eisenhower played in the Kansas State League under the name Wilson. Jim Thorpe played under his own name. He never tried to hide it. Um, but when when the when the sort of quote unquote scandal broke, most of the people in power denied that they knew what he was doing, when in fact they did. Now tell us about those uh, nineteen twelve Olympics uh, in Stockholm and and how dominant uh, Thorpe was. He was amazing in Stockholm. I mean, think about competing in fifteen different events: the <laughs> pentathlon, the five events, the decathlon, ten events. Um, over the course of those uh, 16 days. Um, and he was completely dominant in both, both winning both gold medals. Um, it's, it's hard to compare them with, with other uh, decathlons later because the scoring systems would change. And, of course, comparing athletes of different generations is always iffy because of different training methods and diet and coaching and, and equipment. Um, but... He was the most dominant athlete at any Olympics, one could say, in the way he, he prevailed in both the pentathlon and decathlon. And for part of the decathlon, he competed with, with uh, misshaped shoes. He had misplaced his shoes and had to find two in the trash. They were different sizes. Uh, he had to wear three pairs of socks to make one of the shoes fit, and he still won the event. Uh, he was just an incredible athlete. No doubt, and there's a, a picture depicting that uh, in the book. So, so many uh, great pictures as well uh, in, in your, your book, and it's called Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. Uh, the author is our guest, 
uh, David Moranis. And uh, as a Native American, as you mentioned, a member of the uh, SAC and Fox Nation, <laughs> he, he did face uh, all kinds of racism uh, throughout his life. Yeah, he had a lot of obstacles. He, some, of, some of it was his own doing. He had struggled with alcohol, um, and he had three marriages. Um, but at every, every important step of his life, he did have to overcome um, the racism of America. And I view it not as a tragedy, but it's a lesson in perseverance. Can you uh, stay with us for a couple more minutes? We have to take a quick break here. Sure. All Happy right. Too. David Moranis is our guest, and the new book just out is Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. Fascinating uh, biography, and as we mentioned, some uh, great pictures as well. Uh, We take a break here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, 101.9 FM in Manchester, nhtalkradio.com. We will be right back, I promise. It is Kale and Company live on this Wednesday, and uh, we are thrilled to have with us David Moranis, best-selling author, and the new book, and two-time Pulitzer Prize winner uh, as well. Uh, We don't have a Pulitzer Prize winner with us uh, every day here on the program, for sure. The new book is Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe, and... uh, uh, David, uh, we, we talked about the fact that in 1912, his uh, Olympic medals were stripped from uh, from him uh, as a result of uh, playing minor league baseball. Now, in, uh, in 1983, uh, there was a, a ceremony in Los Angeles with Juan Antonio Samaranch, uh, the IOC president at the time, and he presented uh, the family with copies of of the uh, medals taken from uh, Jim Thorpe uh, 70 years earlier, but certainly uh, did not make up for the the full restoration uh, of those medals. That's absolutely right. And it only happened last month, actually, um, that the full records of Jim Thorpe at those Olympics were finally restored 110 years later. Mm. Um, In 1983, it was sort of a half-hearted effort to to give him retribution, um, and uh, they gave his children sort of uh, copies, uh, replicas of the medals that he should have won that were taken away from him. Um, but they did not restore his first place finishes um, in the record books until just last month. Uh, the International Olympic Committee finally made that final restitution. Well, of course, he was made famous by his Olympic accomplishments, but did a lot of barnstorming uh, around the yeah. country, playing uh, football and, and baseball. How will he be remembered uh, in, in those sports? Baseball is an interesting thing because <clears throat> he had trouble with the curveball, like so many great yeah. athletes. <laughs> you know, he was a better baseball player than Michael Jordan, for instance, who yeah. tried it. Um, but he played on the New York Giants, um, never really got a chance to play much under John McGraw. Um, but finally, for the Boston Braves in 1919, he played full-time, and he batted 327. He led the league in hitting for most of the year, up there with Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth and all of the sports sections. So he showed that if he was given the chance, he could have been a, an excellent baseball player as well. Um, football was his best sport. He was the greatest football player of that era. Not only a brilliant left half back, um, but a great defensive back. He played, the players of that era played 60 minutes. They 
offense and defense. They never went out of the game. Right. And not only was he great on offense and defense, but he was also a brilliant punter and place kicker and drop kicker. He could literally do it all on a football field. Uh, truly, truly amazing. No, no doubt about that. And, and certainly the, this book uh, details it all very thoroughly. Uh, Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. And uh, during the course of his life, he, he had encounters with uh, celebrities uh, from uh, all, all walks of life. I mean, from presidents to actors, uh, all, you know, all over the place. Boy, isn't that true? I mean, he played football against Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah. He played at West Point. Um, Omar Bradley was on the bench for that game for West Point. Ah, wow. He went to the Olympics with George S. Patton, who competed in what was called the Modern Pentathlon, a military-based uh, series of events. Um, he went to Hollywood and was a bit part actor in 70 films, and he got to know people ranging from Bob Hope to, to the, to the uh, uh, director John Ford, um, and just about every famous actor in that era I encountered Jim Thorpe. So you're right. He his life touch, touches so many different aspects of of American culture. And of course, as you mentioned, he was in at least uh, seventy films, uh, bit parts in, in some yep. of them, of course. Uh, but uh, he he also uh, lobbied for Native Americans, uh, did he not? For for roles in movies when a day in a time when uh, white men would be uh, portraying Indians for the most part in movies. You know that's right, and I think that the sort of found his voice as a Native American spokesperson during that era when he was living in Southern California and working at the studios. Um, there were about 200 or 300 Native American uh, actors who, who were looking for roles in films. That, you know, Westerns were quite popular during that era, and there were always uh, Indian roles. But, but often they were being played by white guys you know, wearing grease paint. And Thorpe became sort of the, the leading activist spokesperson for the real Native Americans who wanted them to get those jobs as well as also arguing for a better portrayal of Native Americans, not always as the bad guys in all of the cowboy and Indian movies. Yeah, and of course, you know, uh, as you point out uh, in your book, he uh, would be uh, traveling from uh, state to state trying to trying to make money from his uh, celebrity <laughs> status. It, uh, kind of a, a sad ending uh, for, for his life, I, I would say. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there was a little bit of sort of a Willie Loman-esque character to him, constantly thinking that he would get his chance and find find the job that would give him security. Never really happened. He, he ended up living in 20 different states um, before he died, um, living in a trailer in Southern California of a heart attack in 19, you know, at age 65 in 1953. Um, so in some senses... Uh, I say, you know, that part of his life was was a tragedy, but but I came to look at it more as an act of perseverance. Mm. No matter what troubles he faced, he kept going and looking for something better. What did you learn in in the research uh, for this book? Oh, you know, I try to enter every book as though I know nothing. So I learned an enormous amount about the Native American experience through his life. Um, as well as his achievements um, in athletics. But I think there's more of a profound understanding of, of, of what, how 
you know, there were points in Thorpe's life where it was thought that the it was sort of the end of the trail for for the Native Americans. They they were down to about two hundred fifty thousand people, and there was a sense that manifest destiny and progress, quote unquote, had eliminated this race, and it didn't happen. Um, they survived. They figured out ways to survive, and now there are a few million Native Americans. Um, and I think that's true of Thorpe, too. He showed sort of a, a perseverance through it all, and that's what I learned from this book. Well, I know you, you persevere when you uh, research your, your books, and uh, what, what's your next uh, four-year project? <laughs> I'm not talking about it yet, but I'm actually going to take a little bit of a gap. I, I've been writing books nonstop for 30 years, and uh, I promised my wife that next year we're, we're going to take some time off before I launch into my next one. Um, it likely will be a second volume on Barack Obama. How, how many books in total have you written? Thorpe was my 13th book. 13th. Wow. Yep. Wow. It is amazing. And uh, also uh, thoroughly researched and uh, two Pulitzer Prize uh, awards for journalism. It's uh, an incredible career. Are you still still working at the Washington Post? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sort of a professor emeritus type there, but... I'm working on a big story right now with my colleague Sally Jenkins, so I still oh. have my hand in the still. Yeah. Well, yeah. terrific. We we certainly appreciate your time, Mr. Moranis, and uh, wish you uh, all the best, and uh, certainly in this uh, the new book, Path Lit by Lightning, uh, The Life of, of Jim Thorpe, a fascinating story, and, uh, and we thank you for joining us today. Oh, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks yep. so much. Bye-bye. And you can get more information at uh, davidmoranis.com. David, M-A-R-A-N-I-S-S.com. And again, uh, the book Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. Wow, what what a story. And, uh, man, uh, great to have uh, Mr. Moranis on with us today. And if you missed any of uh, that interview, you can hear it again. We will repeat it as we do with all of our programs at 7 o'clock every night, 7 to 8. Join us live from 8 to 9, Monday through Friday. Anna Brown will be with us tomorrow talking some local political races and uh, Things happening in politics around the Granite State. Anna Brown from Citizens Count. She will be joining us live tomorrow between 8 and 9 here on Kale and Company Live on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and streaming around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, be sure and tune in tomorrow. Same time, same station.